We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, we're in Acts chapter number one. We're going to begin reading in a moment in verse number one, but I just want to mention we began a, a, a survey of the book of Acts, really, uh, and we don't intend to stay here as long as one might anticipate. Uh, we have uh, gone through the book of Acts together a few years back, but just we want to take a survey trip through the book of Acts with this thought in mind of reestablishing the priorities of the church, understanding what those priorities are and how important it is that we, as a church, not only understand them, but that we keep the priorities of the church, that they guide us in all that we do because we are prone to get off course. Uh, we're prone to, to let the immediate and the urgent take over. And if we're not careful, we lose sight of what the priorities are. So it's always a good and healthy practice for us in our lives and in our church just to take a pause and look again at what God wants us to do, to get our priorities straight. And as we, as we venture into this property next door and construction hopefully beginning very very soon then we must know what what all this is about and why we're doing it what we should be doing because so many things threaten to pull us off course we noted last week in acts chapter 6 that there was a problem in the church there was a, a murmuring of the grecians against the hebrews because their widows were neglected and we note that problems arise whenever you have people together serving, ministering. There will be times when there are offenses or when, when things are neglected, not, maybe not even intentionally, oversights, hurt feelings. Those things happen. And so there was a problem in the church, and that problem created pressure upon the apostles to, to solve the problem. And in so doing, they decided that they had to remember and they had to help the church understand what the priority was, the Word of God and prayer. And as they recommitted themselves to that, pri that priority, God led them to the solution of the problem, and the church progressed. And so if we're going to progress as a church, we need to understand what the priorities are. And with God's help and God's strength, we'll do that, and we'll see the church progress, and we'll see problems that arise from time to time be solved by spiritual, mature people. And so I want us to look at the very first priority we find as we come across uh, these priorities in the first chapter of the book of Acts. I would hesitate to say that one of these priorities is more important than the other. I think they're all equally important, but this is the first one we encounter as we come to Acts chapter 1. And so I'd like to invite you to read with me, beginning in verse 1, the former treatise 
have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Luke was the human instrument that God used to pen the book of Acts. He also wrote the gospel according to Luke. And as he begins this book detailing the acts of the apostles, he hearkens back to the epistle that he had written, or the gospel rather, that he had written. And he says to Theophilus, that former treatise, the gospel according to Luke, in that I have recorded all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, seeing, being seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye should be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. When they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Luke details for us the certainty of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus here in the opening verses. And then he details the events surrounding his ascension and then the promise of Christ's return. And he relates to us an interaction, a discussion between the disciples and the Lord Jesus. And we know that the Lord told the disciples in verse number 8, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Here we find one of the priorities of the church. We are witnesses. That's who we are. It's not just something that we do at a designated time of the week. It is who we are. And therefore, because it is who we are, then therefore it is what we do. Why does this church exist for this very task? That we would be witnesses concerning the message of the gospel 
and the saving work of Christ. As the choir sang this morning, hope can be found in the name of Jesus. We are living in a world without hope. And the world desperately needs to hear the message of hope. We have, uh, we have learned very, very, uh, uh, we're very aware. Uh, and and, and I, I would imagine we have, we have finally begun to understand uh, that we do not have hope in this world. Uh, we cannot find hope in the economic system of this world. We cannot find hope in the political uh, We live in a world that's running in short supply of hope. And therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ said, We are witnesses, ye shall be. I will make you, he said to the disciples, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to change your identity, and I'm going to make you a witness. And so we're going to note some things this morning about the witnessing church. That's one of the priorities that we'll look at over the next few weeks. And I want you to see three things this morning concerning our witness. We'll see, first of all, the priority of our witness. What's important to the Lord and what is important to us? The power of our witness. And then lastly, the place of our witness. Well, let's note, first of all, the priority of our witness. Priority. What is important to us? Those are the things that we typically do. We, we live in a, a busy time and, and often when we allocate the resources of our time, we, we would say this, I'm too busy. I'm too busy for this. I'm too busy for that. But the truth is, we always find time to do the things that are important to us. We always find financial resources to spend upon the things which are important to us. But as we come to this text, we want to find out what is important to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see the priority. Now, I want you to notice their mission as the Lord gives it to them. Notice in verse 6, this conversation that takes place uh, with the disciples. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him. The, the disciples said, Lord, we have a question. We have a question. What's the question? Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Are you finally going to overthrow the Romans and set up your kingdom here on earth? And let's get this thing over with. That's what they wanted to know. Oftentimes we get preoccupied with those things. And by the way, we know we're living in the last days. We understand that. The time of his, his coming is at hand. But the Lord Jesus expresses in his answer that his concern was not necessarily at that moment for the restoration of the kingdom. His concern was for the evangelization of the lost. And by the way, that remains his concern at this hour. So if we want to know what we ought to have or what ought to be important to us as a church, it ought to be that we get the message of the gospel to our community and to the world because that's what's important to Jesus. There are many questions that might uh, occupy our minds. There are many things that might be on our agenda this morning but the Lord wants us not to be so concerned about our agenda, but to understand what his agenda is. 
That's important for us as a church and how we function, how we allocate our resources and our energies. That's important for you in your marriage and in your home and the, the path of life that you pursue, that you pursue it in line with the Lord's mission and calling upon your life. And so the Lord answered them in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. This was their mission. Now when we think about the reasons that we must witness, I, I think there are a couple. I'll just give them to you quickly. Number one, the commission of our Lord. He's commissioned us to witness. This is a command. Number two, the constraint of his love. If we love the Lord Jesus, we're going to be obedient to him. If, if, if we truly love him, then what's important to him will be important to us. And so we understand that what's important to him is that the lost hear the message of the gospel. By the way, that's the reason he came, right? So the reason we witness the commission of, his, of our Lord, the constraint of his love, but then the condition of the lost. The condition of the lost. What does the Bible teach us? It teaches us that those who do not know Jesus as their Savior are lost in their sins. And we understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. As sinners, if we die in our sin apart from Christ, without believing on Him, the Bible teaches that we will go to an eternal destiny in a place called hell where we will be separated from God for all eternity, where we will face the flames of God's wrath and judgment. But God loves us and he's, he's, He came, He sent His Son to die for us to keep us from going to that place. The Bible says in Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Jesus come? To teach us all how to live? To make the world a better place? No, He came to save us from sin and death. That was His mission. And Paul reminds Timothy of that mission. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Why does the church exist? To get the message of Jesus to a lost and dying world so that they can be saved. And so may God help us to be on message today. As witnesses, we testify of what we've seen, what we've heard. And as those who know the Lord, it is our responsibility to tell others about the Lord. That is our mission. But it's also our message. It's our message. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul said this, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Well, there's a, there's a potential trap in this verse, is it? For we preach not ourselves. You know, if we're not careful, we'll spend more time preaching Tabernacle Baptist Church 
than we do Jesus. There are so many religious marketers today who are trying to pull in a crowd and reach them. What we're packaging really is a promotion of us. Wonderful saying. He's the object of our message. We preach the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day. On the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that's a hopeful message. Died for you. He bore your sins on the cross. He made the payment. He suffered the judgment of your sin. He arose the third day and he offers salvation to all who will believe. You can escape condemnation and judgment. You can receive the forgiveness of your sin if you will call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and that's something you need to do. We want to help you with that. That's what we're here for. To help you know Jesus. But Paul goes on to write, and he says in verse 14, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? We might say, call on the Lord, but how are they going to call on the Lord if they haven't believed on the Lord? You see, belief comes before confession. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? In other words, they can't call if they don't believe, but they can't believe if they haven't heard. What do they have to hear? They have to hear the message. That's the job of the church. And how should they hear without a preacher? Somebody has to tell them. That doesn't mean they have to be a pastor who stands before a congregation. It means a messenger who will tell them about Jesus, who will just simply witness and say, this is the Son of God. This is what he's done for me. He forgave me of my sin. He saved me. He changed my life. He can do that for you. This is the way of salvation. And take them to Jesus. How should they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach except they be sent? Well, we have been sent. That's the point. We've been sent. And may God help us to fulfill our mission. That's the priority. What is important? What is important? The, 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 what, what guides this church? What ought to guide our lives in every facet of it is that we are related to our Heavenly Father by our relationship with His Son. We are His children, and we've been commissioned to carry His message. So our character ought to reflect that we're witnesses. Our conduct ought to reflect that we are his witnesses. Our conversation ought to reflect that we are his witnesses. This is the priority. Well, then secondly, I want you to see the power of their witness. The power of their witness. Notice in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, this word power has really two senses to it throughout the Scripture. Number one, in reference to authority. Number two, in reference to ability. When we think about the authority that we have, who are we? What right do we have to approach a perfect stranger and give them a gospel track and talk to them about the Lord? What right do we have to knock on someone's door 
and try to strike up a conversation with them to let them know we'd like to talk to them about Jesus. What, what, what right do we have to do that? Well, I want you to know we have a divine right to do that. Not only do we have a divine right to do it, we have a divine responsibility to do it. Jesus said in John 20 and verse 21 to his disciples, he said, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. With the same authority that Christ Jesus was sent into the world, he has sent you and I. You see, there's only one agency that has been given the responsibility to preach the gospel to all the world. Do you know what agency that is? It's the church. The church has the divine authority to preach the gospel. Only one agency has been designated by God as the pillar and ground of the truth. Do you know what agency that is? That's the church. We have divine authority to carry the message of Jesus Christ. But also we have divine ability. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. Look there, if you would, please, with me in verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. By the way, that's the way the church ought to be. In one accord, in agreement, in one place. Ought to be together, right? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad that the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and dwellers in Mesopotamia, and all Judea, and Cappadocia, in Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, in parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. A notable miracle took place. The Holy Spirit had come down. Had come down. This is what Jesus told his disciples. Wait for the promise. Well, the promise is being fulfilled here in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God has come down and descended upon them with the noise of a, of a mighty rushing wind. So they heard it. Then they saw it. What did they see? They saw these cloven tongues of fire standing over the heads of the apostles. I, I, I can't picture exactly what that looked like. But it was visible. This noise, what they heard, what they saw. And then the disciples, the apostles, began to speak in tongues. They were Galilean men. They didn't know other languages. There were people in Jerusalem from all over the world who spoke these languages that are enumerated for us in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. And what they heard was not some gibberish that they couldn't understand. What they heard was their own, in their own language, the wonderful works of God. You see, the Spirit of God gave them power to communicate the message of God. When we, when we try to talk to people, we're, we're nervous about it, you know, and, and we're thinking, I, I don't have the ability to do this, and, and I, I don't know this guy, and, and I may not relate to him, and I may not be his cup of tea, but when we're talking about Jesus, we, can, we, don't, have to, we don't have to worry about those things. 
Because the Spirit of God who dwells in us already enables us to communicate. That doesn't ensure that everybody who hears this is going to be saved. In fact, God may send this to some people knowing that they're going to reject the gospel, but in order that they can hear it, we are sent. Then there'll be people who do hear it, and they will respond to it. And what we find in Acts chapter 2, in verse 37, when they heard the message of Peter, they were pricked in their heart, they were convicted, and they said, what shall we do? And Peter told them, repent and believe. And they did. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, then they gladly received his word, were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I don't know how many people were living in Jerusalem. I don't know how many were gathered there for the day of Pentecost. But I know this, on that day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. In Acts chapter uh, 3 and 4, you have the record of the man being healed at the beautiful gate. And uh, he's a lame man and he's healed. And everybody wants to know how he got healed. And Peter preaches the gospel. And 5,000 get saved. You see, sometimes sitting in the comfortable confines of this auditorium week in and week out, we lose sight of the multitude of people who never darken the doors of this church, who have eternal souls that are on their way to an eternity in hell. May God help us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and to establish once again the priority that ought to direct our lives and know that we are witnesses. Well, then I want you to see a third thing, and that is the place of their witness. We've established the priority. This is what God wants done. We've established the power. He's enabled us to do it. And now we establish the place. It's the place, by the way, that he has sent us to. Tabernacle Baptist Church, located in Hickory, North Carolina. Right? So we find that we have a responsibility to the community that surrounds us. Notice the words of Jesus, and ye shall be witnesses in verse number eight, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, that's where they were, and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. You see, when we think about the place of our witness, our immediate concern ought to be to reach our neighbors. So think about who they are. Identify where they live. The task that's, that is laid at our feet as a church is to reach this city with the gospel. Hickory, Newton, Conover, Taylorsville. Hudson, Granite Falls, Maiden, Lincoln. This is our responsibility. We'll give an account to God for that. It starts in our home with our children. We need to get the gospel to them. And we need to live the gospel in front of them. 
We take it to work. Our testimony on the job ought to reflect that we're Christians. Not in name only, but in character and in conduct. If you have a job, and most of you do, you ought to try to be the best employee in the place. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. That includes our job. You see, we don't divide our lives into secular and sacred compartments. No, Jesus goes with us everywhere. We are witnesses no matter where we are. So at home, at work, in the shops, the way we interact with shopkeepers, in the offices, the floors of the factory, in the restaurants, when we demonstrate patience toward a waiter or waitress who is having trouble. When the food doesn't taste exactly right, we remember that we're witnesses, right? I mean, if we're going to leave a track, by the way, with a waitress and we're not going to tip her adequately, don't leave one with our church name on it. If we're going to be rude to a host or hostess or a waitress or a waiter, Please, please don't tell anybody you go to Tabernacle. You see, we're witnesses. It affects how we live and how we conduct ourselves. In the medical centers, in the sports arenas, the fields of play, and the streets of our town. They brought the apostles in in Acts chapter 5, and they, they didn't mean this in a complimentary fashion, but it sure was a compliment. They said in Acts chapter 5 and verse 28, Ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Wouldn't it be something if the mayor of the city of Hickory, who is a Christian, by the way, we thank God for that. But imagine if our city uh, leaders were perturbed at us and they came in here today and said, You have filled Hickory with your doctrine. We'd wear that as a badge of honor, would we not? But the truth is, there's a lot of hickory that remains to be filled with our doctrine. So how do we do it? We get everybody to come here. Hey, everybody, everybody in hickory, come to the tabernacle. That's never going to happen. But tabernacle can go to everybody in hickory. They do. And that's what we must do. That's the priority. So our immediate concern is to reach our neighbors. Ultimately, our concern is to reach the world under the uttermost part of the earth. And that's what the church in Jerusalem did. So what have we looked at thus far? Well, we've looked at the priority of our witness. We've looked at the power of our witness. And we look at the place of our witness. Well, in conclusion, what do we do with this? Well, I think we need to reflect upon the reality of this priority in our lives. How does it affect me? How does it affect you? Have you made witnessing a priority in your life? I made some questions for myself. I want to I want to share those with you. Is it a priority for you to tell somebody about Jesus? 
Is it a priority for you to find somebody who needs Jesus and talk to them about Jesus? It's a priority for him. What's important to him ought to be important to us. When is the last time you and I did that? Before you leave today, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God to put somebody on your heart. I'm going to ask you to take a gospel track. Just one. You could take as many as you like, but at least take one and get it in the hands of somebody this week. Or share your testimony and tell somebody what Jesus did for you this week. You see, if I make witnessing a priority in my life, then it will determine my agenda as I go through the week. It'll determine my calendar, my conduct, my character, and my conversations. It will help me eliminate distractions and other priorities. Let me ask you, whose priorities take precedence in your life, yours or his? Or other people. Other people will fill your calendar for sure. And before long, we've forgotten our priorities. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these priorities that aren't really priorities and remove these distractions. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us renew our commitment to be a witness. The Lord's given us power to witness, so let's rely upon it, not, not upon ourselves and stumble in fear that we're insufficient. We are insufficient but he's altogether strong. And then let's look at the place that God has put us. And let's be a witness there. And you know what we'll find? If we'll just be a witness where we're supposed to be a witness, God's work will get done. The Holy Spirit is well able to orchestrate the evangelization of Hickory, North Carolina. So let's trust him. Let's yield to him. Let's rely upon him. Let's reorder our lives to get in line with his priorities. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.